Hi, I'm Kristen Ludlow from NBA Inside Stuff, and you're listening to the Double Clutch Podcast. Hello, and welcome back to the Double Clutch NBA Podcast. I am your usual host, Matthew Wellington, and I'm joined on this Monday evening uh, by Mike Miller. Hi. Who's uh, rather bunged up from a cold, I gather. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. We uh, we were due to record last night, which was Sunday night, but we uh, we cancelled it in the end in the hopes that he'd get a little bit better. And he's fighting through the pain today, so you know, <laughs> yeah, podcasting probably. is important. Getting your NBA knowledge is important, and Mike's here to to bring you everything he's got. Hopefully, <laughs> yeah. Apologies for the delay. So we've had a pretty crazy weekend. I mean, if you've been on Twitter or Facebook or any of the NBA websites over the weekend, you will realise that. The Warriors are doing crazy things again. Stephen Curry's doing crazy things again. But we want to start this show off tonight with just mentioning Tim Duncan yet again um, because he broke a record on Saturday night. It was kind of all covered up because of everything that the Warriors and the Thunder were doing. The fifth player to reach 3,000 blocks, uh, a phenomenal achievement. I know Andy, um, our co-founder, is a, is a huge Spurs fan, so I'm sure he's, he's delighted with Tim Duncan reaching that achievement, passing Carl Malone for sixth on the list. And it's really funny that an achievement like that can just sort of be completely hidden up because of what is going on in uh, in Golden State at the moment. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's probably a testament to what Golden State are doing, that, uh, that someone has had such a career as Tim Duncan is, is just an afterthought. Fair play to the Warriors. Um, Duncan is... Well, he's Mr. Consistent, isn't he? Mr. Even Consistent. At, yeah, 39 years old. Uh, still still there, still doing it. Yeah, and still doing it in a team that, you know, it's got LaMarcus Aldridge, Kawhi Leonard, Tony Parker, Danny Green. Like, there's loads of really talented players in there. And yeah. he's still, you know, punching way above his weight at the age he is. Um, they won that game on Saturday night, 104-94 um, in Houston. Houston didn't really look up for it. I think that was the game where um, James Harden fell into the camera and pulled a funny face that kind of summed up their whole season in one gif. So if you can find that, go and have a look at it. The Spurs got off to a really hot start. I think they were 26 and 11 at the end of the first quarter. And basically they had the game won. Lamarcus Aldridge was phenomenal that night. 26 points, 16 rebounds, really becoming sort of the player they've expected him to be. And the matchup of the night was sort of him versus Dwight Howard, really. He had those two going at it. But there's a lot of discord in Houston recently. We haven't actually, pod- me and Mike actually haven't podcasted since, um, all the trade deadlines and stuff happened. So obviously Dwight didn't get traded. Quite a lot of chaos going on there with Daryl Morey trying to deny the fact that Dwight and James have fallen out a little bit and you had all the stuff recently about James Harden trying to get people moved and it's just all gone to pot really and it's it's just odd because that team, and I think Joe probably will hate me for saying this, but I'm pretty sure Joe had them as like winning 62 games or something this season um, when we did our season guide and obviously that, isn't going to be the case and at the moment they'll be lucky if they if they make the playoffs but the Spurs are now 50 and 9 um, a phenomenal record being powered by some phenomenal players so just a big shout out to to Tim Duncan really the big fundamental probably the best player of um, the last decade at least I know I, I mean I'm a Lakers fan so I would probably side with Kobe Bryant but what Tim Duncan has done since he entered the league is just absolutely phenomenal um, anyway on to Saturday night, we had a ridiculous game. I think it was like a one o'clock, half one tip-off here in the UK. It was on BT Sport. You could obviously catch up with it on League Pass or YouTube or the various other 
um, video outlets, which the NBA quite happily let you um, watch things on, which the Premier League and the NFL don't. So we're quite grateful for that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the Warriors and the Thunder, just what a crazy game this one was. I think it was tied four times. Um, You had three lead changes. Um, Oklahoma sort of set fire to the game from the off, really, and they, they were running with it. I think their biggest lead was 14 and it looked like it was going to be the game where everyone thought this is what OKC can do and they're the best team to compete with, you know, Golden State and what, what Stephen Curry and the Warriors are doing this season. But lo and behold, the guy who's probably going to win back-to-back MVPs just, well, I don't really know how to describe it. It's just that three-pointer to win the game in overtime from just, well, just beyond the halfway mark, really. It's just, Ridiculous. I don't think you've ever seen anything like it. Yeah, uh, I read that Randy Whitman was still calling it a heave. <laughs> it blatantly wasn't. That's a shot. And uh, the stats that came out earlier in the week about his 68% from beyond 28 foot or something like that. Um, it's just incredible. The, the game itself was everything we wanted from the, uh, the much-hyped Spurs matchup and the first OKC matchup as well. Uh, you can't ask for anything more than an overtime game. There were a couple of bits in the box score that stood out to me as, as actually like a little bit of a, a worry if I'm Golden State is, yeah, they won it, but there's a, there's a high chance that they could come head to head with these guys in the playoffs. And, uh, it's great that the games were close and everything like that. But if, if, if Golden State are the, are the team to beat, then if you look at the breakdown of, of scores, then it's not much of a team. It's you know, 46 from Curry, 32 from Clay. 12 from Iguodala, and then no one else in double figures. And then if you compare that to the, the, the Thunder, the Thunder have got one, two, three, four, five, six, six guys in double figures. So there's a much more even spread there. And when things slow down in the playoffs and, and defenses can really make adjustments, Curry might struggle to, you know, win four games on his own. Well, this is the thing. You've got guys like Oscar Robertson coming out and saying, you know, in my day, we'd have been all over Steph. And it's very easy to just go ahead and say that but actually going out and physically doing it is is incredibly difficult and the one thing I noticed throughout the whole game was well basically how well Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook played for most of that game yes Russ was probably at fault for some of the later plays that that cost the thunder the game and obviously Durant when he got double teamed in the corner at the end really cost them there. I mean, that that should have been complete timeout situation or at least you know do something other than let yourself get trapped that easily you are right in what you're saying like Getting into going into the playoffs is going to be a different thing, but I think that they're more than capable of spreading out their score. And we know Draymond Green can have on and off nights. He had what you'd probably class as an off night on Saturday, um, two points of zero for eight from the field, but then he had 14 rebounds, 14 assists, six steals, and four blocks, which is really weird. Yeah, <laughs> it's like you're a basketball player who is doing everything but score. Um, but obviously contributing to the team massively with the way he was playing. And I'm pr- I don't know, at the end of the game when Steph hit that three, I think Draymond Green's reaction might have actually won it. I mean, that was just an incredible reaction. If you watch the GIF, he's in there sort of doing this whole weird pose thing and he kind of takes over the limelight for a second until he realised what Steph's actually done. <laughs> but um, Stephen Curry's 12 three-pointers tied, tied the record, which I believe is held by um, Kobe Bryant and... Ah, I've forgotten the other guy. Daniel Marshall. Daniel Marshall. There we go. Pulled it out of the bag, Mike. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he broke his own regular season record as well. And I think he's on track for something like 402 threes. So if he, yeah. get, if he makes that, he'll have eclipsed his record by 116, which is 
just ridiculous. I think I, you shared a video on Facebook the other day that said it was like more threes in the last two seasons than um, Larry Bird throughout his entire career. Yeah. Which is just ridiculous. And it shows you Crazy how, stuff. how rapidly the game is developing into sort of this very offensively minded sport. And whether you agree or not, it's, you know, it's making the league incredibly popular right now. But in terms of parity throughout the whole league, and I wrote an article about the game the other day, part of me is thinking it's bad for the league because you don't have, there's like, you've got the Warriors who are obviously the number one team. You've got OKC who I'd put the second best team right now because they're the only team I can see on paper physically competing with this Warriors team in terms of roster lineups and how they counter each other because Durant and Westbrook, when they play like they did the other night and when they defend like they did the other night, are two of the toughest players, two top five players playing at their you know peak of their game, like Kobe Shaq levels of, of, of dominance. And if they play like that in the playoffs, then OKC are going to be Seriously tough. And one thing that annoyed me the other night was we didn't really see much of Anthony Morrow. I thought Anthony Morrow would have made a really big impact on that team. Um, Carl Singer played a lot of sort of later stretches in that game and it didn't really work. I thought Enos Cantor, for all the criticism he gets as well, really made a difference when he came onto the, on the court. I think he's, because just because of his sheer size and like the, the weight of his body, he's difficult to, to match up. Even when you've got Boga or Draymond Green guarding him, I just, he's, he creates mismatches and that's what you kind of need when you play the Warriors, but then you've got obviously the Spurs who sort of sit third. And then after that, you've probably got Cleveland. And then you don't know. I mean, who's the fifth best team in the NBA? Got to go Clippers on that, I think. Yeah, it could be the Clippers or you, you could probably make a solid case for the Raptors at the moment. But you sit there and think, hang on, the Raptors would never beat the Warriors in a final series. No. They'd never beat the Spurs in a final series. They'd never beat the Thunder in a final series. They'd probably never beat the Cavs in a final series. <laughs> Got to get out the first round first. Um, the, bit that, <laughs> the, bit, the bit that gets me is uh, actually that the Western Conference final is probably going to be the finals because uh, yeah, they will be the best, two best teams in basketball. Yeah, as they have been the last few years. <laughs> yeah, I mean, OKC now. Uh, it, as long as they're all healthy, and you know, well, it goes without saying, as long as everyone's healthy, um, OKC are primed to be the team that can challenge the Warriors. But if they don't, do you reckon they just blow it up, give up? I don't know. I mean, it's tough. It just depends on what KD wants to do this summer. Because if you can get KD to commit, to, to, to stay in, then surely you've got to go at it again. Because him and Westbrook, like I said, are the, they're probably the most dynamic two players on the same team in the league. And they're just... They're so tenacious and so incredible. Like KD or Durant on their day, you can you kind of can't stop them from scoring. You know they're going to score. It's just whether they want to play that defense that, that everyone yeah. mentions. And they've put a really good cap. Like this, this is probably the most talented this roster's been in years. There's some you know good players on that bench. Carl Singler is no slouch. Really good perimeter shooter. Enos Kanter, fantastically talented offensive big man. And yeah, his defensive game's a little bit lapsed, but. It doesn't matter when you score, you score the ball the way he does. Randy Foy, I think, was a really good addition. Um, nice yeah. veteran presence to add to the locker room in the, during the trade deadline. Nick Collison's a good player. Mitch McGarry, you know, that's like his second year in the league, I think. And he's, he's played well. Cameron Payne has been phenomenal. I did pick, like, highlight him at the start of the year. And I think he's more than shown up to that. Steven Adams, Anthony Morrow. There's like, there is a really talented roster here. And that's why I, I, I 
genuinely think that they are the only team that can compete because if you put these two rosters together, I think if the Warriors are going to come out and shoot the shoot the lights out, which is the, what they will do, then if you've got Carl Singler, Randy Foy, Anthony Morrow, Cameron Payne, like all these perimeter shooters, then you can always match them. But the problem is, I don't know where this mentality has come from, if it has come from, but people are saying today, like in, in the States, that the Thunder have this mentality that they cannot beat um, the Warriors, which I think is ridiculous because their record over the last few years against them hasn't actually been that bad. And certainly for the last two, three seasons, I seem to remember, the games have been incredibly close. Um, we've had a lot of overtime games and buzzer beaters and all kinds of crazy things in the last two years between these two. And I genuinely, they're just, I just think they're both leagues ahead of what everybody else could do. Yes, the Spurs are there, but, you know, the Spurs just hide. <laughs> they get to this rodeo, which is coming up, and then they'll just go on a tear. And everyone yep. will suddenly start talking about them again. But in terms of like actually matching up the rosters, I just think that they are the best equipped to take on the the, the Warriors. But when Stephen Curry is doing what he did the other night, I, I don't know how you guard him because they had Andre Roberson is not a great offensive player, but what he brings to the the floor off the, defensively for the Thunder is incredible because he's a really lengthy guy, gets in people's faces, and he was all over. Stephen Curry the other night and Russell Westbrook to his credit was there Durant they all took their turns on him and none of them looked like they could really stop him and that's the the, the worrying thing you look around the league at the moment I was talking to Ross about this it's like I don't know who you can trust to guard Stephen Curry because and might you might have a different opinion but I think a lot of people would have said Kawhi Leonard but you go and watch Kawhi Leonard in that Spurs matchup and Steph was running all over him yeah you, you beat me to the punch there I was the guy that everyone says is Kawhi, but he got twisted when they uh, when they met up. He doesn't look mobile enough to cope with Steph. <laughs> it's just you know people people still think Steph is slow and that he's got weak ankles, and yet the guy is yeah he's maybe not the quickest guy on the floor for for a guard, but he's still damn quick, and he the way he changes direction and, and pace is just. He is so difficult to keep in front of. I guess the handles add to that, though, because when you can like spin the ball around behind your back with one hand and sure. somehow get you know beat two screens and still score the layup, it just it puts fear in the the mind of that defender. That yeah, absolutely. no matter what you do, like the best you play is not going to be good enough. To is, I imagine it's what it would have been like trying to guard Michael Jordan in his prime or Kobe Bryant in his prime or you know LeBron in his. Prime. Sorry, King James. <laughs> but like when those guys were all on the tops of their game at the very pinnacles of their career, you just could not stop them because they could score any which way. And I think Steph is at that right now, but Steph's taking it one step further because Steph can score from the half like the half court line and make it look easy. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, to me, what you were saying earlier about it's sort of it's making the league not not look bad, but you know what I mean? Um no, like for the, in terms of like global success for the league, this is the best thing that could possibly happen. Exactly for all those Brits who and I'm sure you've run across them before. Who go, oh, why the hell do you like basketball? It's so boring. It's like what boring? Have you watched the Warriors this season? Yeah, it's just you can't you can't put boring and basketball this year in the same sentence because of what Stephen Curry's doing. It's like you mentioned 17 of 25 on shots from 28 feet to the half court line which you said is 68%. The rest of the NBA is shooting 19% from that distance. And when Steph pulled up the other night with whatever it was, 0.9 left on the clock or whatever, I think a lot of people knew that was going in. Yeah, well, the the Oracle Arena guys, they're saying about the crowd, they now 
are more surprised when he misses. The, rea- yeah. the reactions are like, oh, like the reactions are bigger when he misses just because it is just uh, expectance of him being able to just knock anything down. He's really, he's like raised the bar on what a shooter can do. Well, I think he's raised the bar and then broken straight through it. It's just, <laughs> it's just ridiculous. And some of the stuff is like, people say he can't defend. The guy's top three in steals, averages yep. like 2.1 steals a game. And he can have quiet nights, but that's the best thing about Stephen Curry is Steve Kerr can coach, you know, is, has been so brilliant in the way he's coached him in that you can hide him on the other team's worst player and Steph will just act completely chill about it. He's not fussed about playing against the best guy every night. As long as he's there and he fills a role, he, he might not look like he's asleep for half the night, but he gets that t- those two steals they might be two steals that win you the game. Yeah. Right? As, as long as he gets those plays, nobody really cares. And then you go and look at, like, everyone goes on about his perimeter game, but when he goes into the interior and he, he you know, he's got the best field goal, field goal percentage in the paint of any guard or forward in the league. And, you know, that's like that's Blake scary Griffin stuff. territory, for God's sake, and LeBron James territory. And he's, I think he's shooting 65%, which is, I think is the same as Blake Griffin, but there's like a couple of diff, couple of percentage difference, minute difference between the two. But you just think, you know, 10 years ago, if Steph had tried to do that, he'd have probably been leveled by Kevin, uh, Kevin Garnett or somebody. Yeah, exactly. To, to be, to be rivaling forwards when you are just over six foot and, and shoot layups and rather, really slight of stature. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, you know, you, you go in amongst the trees, you expect to get hit. And uh, he's just, he's just, yeah, he's, he's. <laughs> what can you say about him that hasn't already been said? He's, he's just ridiculous. He is, and I, I, I don't think we can just keep rambling on about Stephen Curry either, because it was a crazy performance from so many players that night. Kevin Durant had thirty-seven points. Serge Ibaka had twenty rebounds. Like there were guys all over, and Serge Ibaka, man, what a difference maker he is when he's fit and healthy. And I think we've said it before, probably a couple of years back, when we were covering the Spurs Thunder. Um, playoff series but he came back into that series and made such a huge impact and I think as long as they can keep those three guys healthy going into the playoffs if they do match up against this Warriors team they've got a best chance of anybody to beat this team in seven they can do it they just I don't think this whole whatever it is that Stephen A. Smith and Skip Bayless and all those guys are saying in the states at the moment about them having this mentality that they can't beat the Warriors I think it's a load of you know rubbish really because they've proven Certainly, with their home record the last few years against the Warriors, that they can. Well, if you if you look at Westbrook, is Westbrook the kind of guy that believes he can't do anything? No, Westbrook's going to go out there and try and kill you every night. Exactly, and, and he he's like <laughs> he's effectively the way that Draymond was the heart of the Warriors. Westbrook sort of stepped up as the heart of the Thunder because Durant's more laid back and deadly, but laid back. Um, so. To me, to, for them to say that they've got the mentality where they don't think they can win, that when this guy is is leading them. No, don't buy it. Don't buy it. They just—I mean—they took them within you know, an overtime. But they—they're there. It just didn't fall their way. And you can argue that if KD played that overtime, they'd have probably won that overtime. Yeah. Because I don't think I certainly at home. I think, and both these teams, I think home court advantage for these two is so huge. You go and play the Warriors in the Oracle, the chances of you winning are very, very minute. Yeah. Um, and the same if you go and play the Thunder in Oklahoma in the Chesapeake. I just think they're. They play up to that spotlight effectively. You know, it's like the gladiator in the Coliseum. They play up to the cheers of the crowd and, and Westbrook the other night, 26 points, 13 re, uh, 13 assists, seven rebounds. 
Durant, 37 points, 12 rebounds, five assists. Like, they're crazy stat lines. And yeah. throughout that whole game, they were played such good defense and they had this lead and they kept pushing and pushing. And then they stopped. And I don't know what happened, but Russell Westbrook had a stupid play where it ended up going out of bounds and then they took the inbounds pass and they gave it to Russ and then he gave it back to KD and KD gave it back to Russ and then Russ sort of stood around and then shot the ball from like 28 feet and it was just, it was never going to go in because he's not Steph Curry and stupid plays and errors. And I think basketball breakdown or whatever it's called on YouTube broke them all down. Um, but so many errors from the thunder in the last like four minutes of, of, of regular time. And then again, in, in overtime, the, the, this, this whole spread offense that they, they tried to run just stopped it was give the ball to Russell Westbrook and see if he can do something. Now, one of the plays was a brilliant sort of he cut baseline behind the back pass, I think it was, to Andre Roberson, who's not known for his scoring, sort of put the ball in. Brilliant play, but that was all Russell Westbrook had. He had to sort of find his teammates, but because KD was gone, it was almost like their game disappeared, and I'd have probably quite liked to have seen Cantor or somebody in at that point because he does bring such a different offensive set to, to their team when he's playing. And I don't know. I just think they, they, they blew their chance really. And people saying that they can't beat them are just wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the good news is they don't have to wait long for a, a grudge match. Cause that's this Thursday, I believe, um, in the Oracle. So hopefully it'll be more of the same. No one's, <laughs> it's the kind of game that, that fans want. And it was uh, there was some stat that it was the most other than the Christmas Day games. It was the most watched game this year. Yeah, I'm not surprised at all. Like it was just phenomenal. I mean, not many lead changes like I mentioned, but just the way the Thunder came out and really wanted to make a statement. And KD must be kind of pissed recently because like you got all this news about whether he wants to stay in Oklahoma City, and then all it's it's like oh no, he's going to leave Oklahoma City and join join the Warriors, and then he's like. No wonder the dude hates the press, man. They just must, they must interfere with his life so much and just make it complete chaos. Like, the situation he's in at the moment is perfect. To be honest, if you had to analyse the best team of the last six years in the NBA, it would probably be the Thunder. Yeah, one of the most consistent. Consistency of getting to conference finals, to playoffs, you know, winning 45, 50 plus games every season with two of the best players. They've been, they should be the dynasty. That whole James Harden trade is going to come up again, but I'm not going to mention it. Um, <laughs> and the game the other night was just bonkers. That they dominated on second chance points, 15 to eight. They beat the Warriors out on fast break points, which is something that doesn't usually happen. 18 to to 15. They dominated the paint, 60 points to 40. And all of this while turning the ball over 22 times. You turn the ball over 22 times against the Warriors, they usually beat you by like 25 points. Yeah. But because KD and Russell Westbrook are that good and Serge Barker's that good, you know they're always going to be in, in in there. And it's it's it works the other way, like because you've got Stephen Curry and Clay Thompson, you're never out of a game because you can always just hit you know six threes in a row or something. Yeah, in a quarter. <laughs> so you need them for getting to turn up one quarter. It is not fair. It really isn't fair, and I, I can see why there's quite a, there's like this. Um, small minority that's sort of developing on Twitter, the evil place that Twitter is, um, who hate Stephen Curry right now. Yeah. Because of what he's doing. That's the and same thing like, all, all champions have to go through though, isn't it? It's it's a very, it's, a, it's what our culture does. We build people up when they're the underdog and then as soon as they're winning and they start flexing um, their, <laughs> their muscles at the top, we're just like, oh, what can we do to take them down? It's uh, 
look at Kobe. Well, yeah, the Kobe LeBron thing from like 2008 onwards was just, you know, he's better than him because of this, and he's better than him because of this. Just, no, shut up. They're both great. Just leave them alone. Exactly. Stephen Curry's changing the way we look at the game. The Warriors are changing the way we look at the game. You sort of go into every game just expecting Stephen Curry to score from the halfway line. Uh, I don't know if I necessarily like it, like I said, but it's certainly fun to watch and it's certainly helping grow the league in, over here in the in the UK because the stupid things like gifs and vines, like they may not know who Stephen Curry is, but they've probably seen a vine of him doing a dance or shooting a three from you know the other end of the planet. I mean. Yeah, well, uh, there was even even uh, I'm trying to think when it was in January sometime. I got excited as I do when I saw uh, an, an Apple advert on TV because Steph was in that. You know, he didn't say a word, no name drop, nothing. And I was just like, whoa, he's he's really arrived because he's just appearing in a in an Apple advert in the UK without any references to who he is. That's just a, an incredible sort of feat of celebrity for him. Because to most people over here who, who don't follow basketball, they're now, they now know or have heard of Steph Curry, so he's, he's sort of transcending the sport now. The exact same thing happened with Derek Rose when he won the MVP. Like all of a sudden, Derek Rose was appearing on adverts in this country and football adverts, and we've all we've seen Kobe on quite a lot of you know Turkish Airlines and things like that. Yeah, adverts the last few years, but Stephen Curry just sort of appearing on things like that and appearing all over Vine and YouTube and Facebook and Twitter. It's just everyone kind of knows who he is now. He's reached that transcendent level which is my favorite word i love using transcendent <laughs> um he, he's reached that level where he's on the same sort of pinnacle as kobe bryant lebron james michael jordan like you can you can stick his name up there and not feel too ashamed about it yeah because he's so different as well he's he's not an arrogant superstar he's really quite likable but then he's got this killer edge which can really piss people off and i know it pissed um carl moon on twitter it, tweeted the other night that he he's getting fed up of watching it because Stephen Curry goes and hits that three and then goes and celebrates and rubs it into people's faces and it's just like that doesn't seem like Stephen Curry to me but he still does it and I guess it's the, the alpha dog mentality it's always going to be there because you play at such a high level yeah where you're sort of twisted to the point of I don't know like that release you know from winning that game is the thing that sends you over the edge if you get what I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, the, the thing is, with with any athlete who's playing elite at an elite level, as nice as they are, they are, there's going to be a competitive streak that outweighs it. That's the only way they'd have got to where they are. They've got to have that. Uh, how to put it? Uh, just just that want to beat someone down and to, to just be dominant. And even even the guys on the end of the bench, yeah, in the NBA, they they might be on the end of the bench, but but in college they weren't, and it's only at that really elite level where they have to learn and adjust and accept to not being this dominant star. So, as nice as he is, he's going to have a killer instinct. Yeah, no, that transition as well. I think where Steph came out of college and wasn't necessarily going to be like, you know, the the best thing since sliced bread. He was always there. Had a few injuries. I think it was Dime Magazine actually posted it the other day. Their cover from like when Steph entered the league was Stephen Curry, All Star or Bust, and the guy the the guy who edited it that year was like, "Great title, mate." It was like choosing the word "bust." Looking back on it now, yeah. But Steph came in the league when Brandon Roy was tearing the thing up, man. And look where Brandon Roy is now. He's not even in the league. I mean, he 
tried to come back with the Warriors, uh, the, the Warriors, the Timberwolves, and and that didn't work. And I adore Brandon Roy. He's one of my favourite players, but his career in the NBA was short. And for Stephen Curry to do what he's done, coming off all the multiple knee, knee injuries, and to beat, you know, get past the critics and get past all that stuff they had where there was a lot of controversy in the locker room because players weren't sort of, you know, attending things that they were supposed to be attending and, and stuff like that. And then they had that incredible series in 2013, I think it was, against the Denver Nuggets. Yeah. Um, beat them up. And they played the Spurs and they got their... They were competitive, but they got beaten by a wiser, tougher team. And now, three years on, the Warriors are there. They're at that level. They are the wiser, tougher team now. And it's just a case of everyone's got to step up and it's going to be really difficult. I mean, Ross said, Ross McLeod said during the week, all these teams are sort of taking that Mike D'Antoni principle of, you know, six seconds or less and really running with it. And the NBA is completely changing. And I think we're in this transition phase where certainly a lot of the previous generations, Oscar Robertson, for example, don't like it. And But, you know, leagues change. It's just the way it is. It's like the Premier League with all the money the last few years. Yeah, yeah. In terms of what uh, Oscar had to say, I think I think there needs to be some context around him because he, he, in general, he is known for being a grumpy old man. Um, <laughs> basically, I, I, I keep wanting to make jokes about the Sesame Street character Oscar the Grouch about him, but uh, I, I'm refraining because they would be stooping too low. Um, but it's it, like it's understandable because the guy played. He played in the 60s. I think he retired in, in 74. The three-point line didn't come in until 79. So there's no way. All this talk about him, you know, if someone hit a shot from distance on me, well, that's slightly different. It was still worth the same. It's a different, entirely different uh, tactical approach now. Uh, but the era he grew up in, I can kind of see why he thinks people are soft because – he went through all sorts of racial segregation, that sort of thing that was going on whilst he was playing. And in some, yeah. you know, so what he went through was to have been horrible. And I totally understand why he thinks people are soft now, but he needs, he needs to appreciate like this guy is just ridiculous. And it's, I mean, he's an easy one to pick at because he's the, the, the most visible player. And, and he's doing stuff that has not been done before. And it, so it's an, e- it's an easy thing for him to say, well, it'd never be done in my day. But I don't know. It's, I'm rambling now a bit. But <laughs> Oscar, I can understand where he's coming from, but he just needs to just needs to relax and enjoy it a bit more, I think. Since- it's, been this, it's been that mentality for the last few years, certainly from like Charles Barkley and players like that coming out and saying that the league is getting soft. And I've not exactly been watching the game since the 70s and the 80s because I'm nowhere near that old. But, you know, even since I've been watching, like, through the 2000s, I've seen the game completely change. Like, I think the game was tougher back in 2008, for God's sake, than it is now. But that's just the way things go. Yeah. You know, I mean, sports, sports leagues develop. Once the three you know, guys like Steph come in the league and everyone starts shooting threes from the backyard, everyone else is going to start following him. Yeah, plus plus for the league, it's, I mean, if you keep going back, the league's always getting softer. They're always changing the rules to make it a more fan-friendly, uh, high-scoring game. And why would they want it to be a, a sort of league where, I mean, obviously we're not talking about physical interaction too much, but why would they want it to be a league where their star players who earn money for the league are at risk of being injured? Doesn't yeah. make any sense. 
Well, that's where it brings up the whole 82-game season. Should it be shortened? I mean, that's a whole other kettle of fish, really. But yeah, yeah. sports leagues grow. It's just it's just what happens. And it's odd because like, we'll look at Steph now and think this is incredible. But I guarantee you in like 10 years' time, maybe one or two guys will come into the league who are probably just like Steph. Because if you go back and look at Michael Jordan, who obviously learned a hell of a lot from Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, who really sort of revitalized the NBA brought it back into the mainstream in the States, made it kind of popular globally. And then you had Jordan who took that, ran with it, made it even bigger. And then conveniently, at the end of the 1990s, you get Kobe join the league. Kobe's this young, enigmatic kid who's just going to sort of take no stick from anybody. And then you get LeBron James come in in 2003. You've got two guys there who are both clearly like the products of Michael Jordan. Uh, I'm not talking like, physically products of Michael Jordan, but in terms of the way they play and the way they base their sort of mindset and mentality. And I think in 10 years' time, we'll get two guys who will come into the league and they'll they'll want to be like Steph. Yeah. And that's just the way the league goes. Someone different comes along. You know, Kevin Kevin Garnett, for example, or Carl Anthony Towns at the moment, all these bigs that are coming into the league that can shoot threes. Like, that wasn't a thing 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Apart from, apart from Dirk. Sorry, Dirk. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I mean... It's, it's interesting to see how it's changing. It, it really is. Um, all right. Big guy shooting threes, like you say. What, who'd have thought that? I mean, I, I can go back. To, I think the first big guy I saw shooting was Sam Perkins. So that's going, that's going way back. But then it, it, it was literally like a rarity. And now it's, it's, it's almost a requirement. You need to be able yeah, to Yeah, like stop. Blake Griffin's upped his three-point percentage drastically the last, like, two seasons. Yeah, and, and Powell, wasn't, wasn't Powell um, complaining at one point that the Lakers were asking him to shoot threes? And now, yeah, he's, yeah. now he's quite happy to sit in the corner for the balls. So, yeah. <laughs> so we actually had a question um, regarding the Warriors, as everyone seems to be talking about the Bloody Warriors at the moment. Um, this is from GP Bry on Twitter. He put, is this team, the Golden State Warriors, potentially a three-peater um, if they can keep together the core parts over the next couple of seasons? Well, if they keep together the core parts, they look untouchable, don't they? Um, it's, I think keeping Harrison Barnes in the off-season is going to be difficult, but it's going to be a... a an important, way more important than we actually realise the, the role that he plays on that team. Uh, so if they can keep him, they've got they've got a lot of guys, lot, a lot of the core guys locked up for a long time. So yeah, if, if, they, if they can keep the core together, I can't see them suddenly dropping off from, what are they on target for, 73, 74? I can't see them dropping off from that to being sort of a third or fourth seed. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Like, I think if they keep Drummond... Um, Drummond, sorry, Draymond, um, Bogut, Clay, Steph, Iggy. I think if you keep an Harrison Barnes, I think if you keep those guys together, you're fine. I think you could take a hit on losing like someone like Maurice Spates, yeah, or Sean Livingston, or someone like that, because um, there is actually a market for those two guys. Like Sean Livingston's still like considering the start that kid had to his career, he's been phenomenal yeah. um, since he came back. And yeah, I just generally think if they keep those guys together, they'll be fine. And if they go out and they do something crazy, like add Kevin Durant, like I mentioned earlier, then you no, know, the team could dominate like the next five years, uh, kind of like everyone expected the Heat to do. But I can't, I can't see Durant. I, for, for, I, I, yeah, I just don't. I can't see that. I can't see that. But uh, the, the, one of the key guys, I think, for me 
as well is going to be uh, Festus Azili when he went sort of out his knees because long term he, he's Bogut's replacement and uh, he's you know, he's the same draft class as Draymond and Harrison so that that's a really good young core and if if Bogut who's been in the league now for ten years or so you know as his role diminishes the older he gets, they're going to need someone to step up and fill it. And none of the bigs are long-term sort of replacements, if you know what I'm saying. So yeah. it's got to be Festus. So hopefully his, his knee gets sorted out with his surgery. Well, if any team can sort out knee problems, then it's probably the Warriors. Yeah. Um, that or the Phoenix Suns, if they've still got those witch doctors in there somewhere. <laughs> um, I think the, the fact that they play small ball so much as well really kind of helps big men because they don't necessarily have to play a lot of minutes. Yeah. Um, I think Bogut played like 17, 18 minutes on Saturday night, um, which is nothing for someone you'd probably consider a star center in this league. You just didn't have to play a lot. And a lot of that is the product of the, what the other team does. So you play KD at the four and Barker at the five. So you have to sort of match up to that. But, you know, that's a whole thing that came into the league with um, probably courtesy of the Miami Heat with LeBron James and yeah. Dwayne Wade. And that was the thing that everyone was like, oh, this is a travesty. And now it's like normal. So maybe two years time. Everyone will just expect the you know every team to shoot from the half court line. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, moving on to, uh, I guess we should probably talk about the Cleveland Cavaliers, considering that was the finals matchup team last year, and um, they're probably going to run away with the East or should run away with the East at least, despite what Toronto are doing at the moment. Carl um, Lowry, I noticed, pushing himself back into MVP consideration after they beat the Cavs. Um, the other night on a game winner which was awesome um, but the Cavs last night it was a Sunday the uh, NBA Sunday game I think it wasn't on BT Sport I don't think um, which is odd because I thought they had an agreement where they'd show all the NBA Sunday games but they didn't um, and they got blown out last night so I kind of think we need to talk about it um, 113.99 loss to the Washington Wizards who aren't exactly the greatest of teams they don't exactly set you know the league on fire J.R. Smith coming out and criticising teammates um, news today, which is breaking from Stephen A. Smith, so probably don't trust it. Um, <laughs> but Kyrie Irving is apparently unhappy in Cleveland and has been for, for several seasons. Um, so make of that what you will. LeBron James obviously didn't play, but LeBron James also got very pissed off and didn't talk to the media after the game. There's a lot going on in Cleveland now, and there's a lot of expectations. And I don't know if this franchise is necessarily built for this sort of pressure really the Miami Heat were they've won titles before but Cleveland nope yeah agreed um, the the organisation has not got the best rep in general I remember when uh, so the summer before uh, the return of LeBron uh, Deng was traded there from the Bulls Deng came yes, out and was. said it's the, the most unprofessional franchise I've been associated with which, uh, you know... From, coming from a Brit, that's a big thing. Yeah, exactly. From, coming, coming from a guy who's not that outspoken when it comes to the way the franchise is run. I mean, he's outspoken on a lot of other issues, but it's the first time I'd heard him say anything critical about a team. Um, so, you know, they get LeBron back, they suddenly think they're going to walk to the finals, which they did, but then they get smashed. And, well, they get smashed, <laughs> but, uh, and then... Now they're expecting all of a sudden just like the LeBron effect is going to somehow bring this this championship-starved city a ring. And there's so much more to it than that. Like you said about the Heat, I mean, they, 
they were fair enough. They managed to land Bosch and James, which is Pat Riley working his Miami Mafia magic. But they had, like you say, they had a core there. They had Dwayne Wade. It was it was Wade County before they got there, and he there was already a system in place. Everything was ready to go. Here they just seem to be they're not sticking to anything. They're chopping and changing things on a whim. Um, Constantly talking about trading players. Exactly. There's there's so much uncertainty there. Like getting rid of the way Black. I mean, we spoke about Black for ages. Getting rid of him was not done in the best way, and and it was just completely out of the blue, really. For no, it was a farce. Yeah, like, that is. I think if the league's got one black spot the last couple of years, it probably is that. And it, it it just seems to be that LeBron thinks his presence somewhere is going to guarantee a ring, and it, there's so much more to it than that. But I think even we're seeing like the change in LeBron. Like he is a man now. He's coming out and saying these things. And a couple, you know, five or six years ago, I don't necessarily think he'd have done that. Certainly, like his first couple of years with Miami, I don't think he was too vocal. Um, but since he won those rings, and obviously that's the the burdens off his back. Then it doesn't technically winning a ring in Cleveland doesn't really matter now because LeBron's got a one two in in Miami. He's got something. His legacy is not tarnished. If you believe that, anyway, some people will think his legacy is tarnished because he hasn't won six or whatever it is. He needs to win to you know not tarnish his legacy. But <laughs> last night, I know he didn't play, but the whole general performance from the Cavaliers was awful they were down by as much as 30 at one stage um, and to have someone like J.R. Smith come out afterwards you've got serious issues if J.R. Smith's the spokesman for your team for starters um, but Kevin Love coming out and saying there's no togetherness here John Wall ripped them apart 21 points 13 assists Otto Porter Jr. who's been you know a great player for the Wizards since he came into the league he had 21 points as well Kyrie Irving had a really good game but Kyrie Irving is selfish he just scores. He doesn't want to do anything else. He's not helping this basketball team whatsoever. He's just out there to get the limelight and to score. And I think maybe if these rumours are true about him not being very happy, a lot of it's probably got to do with the fact that this was his franchise. Yeah. And then LeBron came back and now all of a sudden it's LeBron's franchise. And then Kevin Love comes in and it's like, oh, it's LeBron and Kevin Love's franchise. But I, I don't know if he's got a mentality of like that, then he has. and You'll never get rid of that. He'll have to go out and get his own team. Some stars just want their own team. Kobe Bryant would have never been happy with another superstar on his team. Pau Gasol, as good as he was, was never a superstar on yeah. a team with the Lakers. Like He wasn't Camelo Anthony or LeBron James or somebody like that who can carry a franchise. Um, he was a, just a solid basketball player, fitted the system. Andrew Bynum was the same thing. Meta World Peace, the guys that came in and fitted around Kobe were just good pieces. And that's what you mentioned... Um, Miami did. Miami did that so well. When they got that big three, they went out and got all these little cheap role players. Who'd have thought they'd have got Ray Allen, for God's sake? Yeah. Or Mike Miller on those cheap contracts and add them to the team. And you go up and add this team, you've got your Donis Haslam, guys like that. They just built a really solid team with veteran experience, young players, guys capable of taking them to a postseason. And Cleveland, certainly last year, didn't look like they had that. They've tried to do it this year, but it hasn't worked. They missed out on a chance to get Joe Johnson... I just don't. I don't see how you can't not chuck everything physically possible at getting Joe Johnson. It's the best situation for him to have gone to if he wanted to ring a, win a ring. But I guess, like you were saying about Deng, if he's gone to Miami, he's gone to an organization which is at the very highest level of how how an organization should perform. And Luol Deng should know, for God's sake, he's played for Chicago and Miami. 
Like you don't get two bigger franchises in the NBA than those two. No. Uh, what you what you were saying about Kyrie as well is like, like we mentioned earlier about these guys have been stars at every level, and now he's at the top level, and he's not the star on his team. And of course, he wants to be, and I think. But I'm not surprised he's he's struggling to adjust to to LeBron being there because he. I don't think he's the right kind of player to ever accept being second fiddle. He just. Whether he's good enough to, to be a franchise star of a of a, a winning franchise is another question entirely. But I just don't see it being the uh, the sidekick. Yeah, and last night he showed no will whatsoever to get Kevin Love involved, and I'm sure that pisses Kevin Love off because he came to this franchise, sacrificed so much, yeah, and he's not getting anything back for it. Yeah, well, the, this whole stint and I'm going to call it a stint because he's going to be shipped somewhere at some point I'm sure um, but this is this is sort of tarnished loves uh, the perception of him as a player he went, he's gone from being an all-star and a what was it uh, like a top 10 guy yeah and I'm sure Joe could quote the, the stats at us something like 24 and 16 or something like that uh, to, to being you know He's not. He's not even. You know, there was no hope of him being an all star this year. As as upset as he was by it, he's he's not on this team. He's gone from being a, a guy who gets touches all the time, the offense flows through him, to a guy that's just sent to go and set picks and go stand in the corner. It's a waste of his talents. It is, and like ESPN put this stat online earlier on, but I just think this is amazing. Um, with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love on the floor to get on the floor together. And no LeBron James, the Cleveland Cavaliers have a net efficiency rating of negative 14.9, which would rank them last in the NBA. <laughs> That's ridiculous. You think you're going to contend for a title if your two star players can't play together when one other star is sitting out? Sorry, go home. Yeah, it's, t- it's, it's too, un- too unsettled. They need to, if they're going to stick with Lou, stick with Lou. But the, and I know that windows on championships are sure, but you've got to give this, time to mesh so it's 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 not like a they they overachieved last year getting to the finals first time it's testament to lebron and just the, his will on the court that they're they're where they are now but it's not enough they need they need to grow the team no and they're so strange because they'll have some games where like all three of the stars will be in double figures and they'll play really well and they look like they're gelling and then they'll have a game like this where you lose one guy and the whole thing just falls apart yeah you can't be like that. And Kevin Love must be getting pissed off for starters because Kevin Love had a chance to sort of go to Los Angeles, go to the Lakers, which is a team he grew up supporting. Could have been the franchise guy for them for like the next five years. Would have been perfectly happy there. Kyrie Irving had a chance a few years ago to move somewhere else. Obviously didn't take it because he thought he was going to stay in Cleveland. That was going to be his thing. LeBron came back because he thought that the mentality of the organization had changed a little bit and that they were willing to sort of patch up those mistakes. Um, which they've clearly tried to do, and it hasn't really worked that well so far. Constantly saying that you're going to tr- trade Kevin Love is not a good way to start a, the superstar team anyway. It's like, oh, sorry, we went out and made all this effort to get you, traded Andrew Wiggins, blah, 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 but now we don't want you. Yeah. And you keep saying that every freaking year. The guy's bound to be pissed. Yeah. I don't care I don't care how many pool parties he has with LeBron in the summer. <laughs> you're still going to be pissed. Um, but yeah, I just think that whole the, the whole way the Cavs are handling everything at the moment is... 
a complete mess. And anyway, onto a team that is handling everything really well, the Portland Trailblazers, which you wrote a fantastic article about midweek. <laughs> Cheers. So, s- shameless plug, I think, there. <laughs> <laughs> um, because we have had a question on Twitter from Joe Magri about uh, the Portland Trailblazers, and I'm pretty sure Joe asked this like six weeks ago, but we're going to answer it again. Um, what do you think of Portland so far? I'm just going to leave this to you, Mike, because like, you're like the Portland expert this week. Excellent. Uh, okay, so, yeah, Portland, um, they're doing very well. I think they've won 8 of 9 and 13 of 15 or something uh, recently. Um, they're overachieving, I think, is, is the way to look at it, which is, which is I mean, I'm trying to think what I can say here without completely ruining the article for anyone who might still want to read it. Um, they're just the organization are, uh, are doing things totally differently to other organizations that are in the middle of a rebuild. And uh, it's good to see a team that's actually got some respect for its its fans by putting together a competitive team, uh, albeit on a budget, rather than just tanking and hoping for a lottery fix. Sixes. <laughs> yeah, sixes. I mean, to, to be fair, I, I mentioned it in the piece, Port. Portland are doing them if, effectively if they make the playoffs, which they could still not make the playoffs. I know that um, they look set the way they're going at the minute, though. That you know, it's it's quite possible that they get. This, I think they're tied. They're joint sixth, I think. Last time I checked. So if if they make the playoffs, they lose their pick this year. So there's, you know, they've got an incentive to tank up in theory. They've got CJ and, and Damian Lillard under contract for a while. Plenty of time to make them unhappy for one season whilst they tank and then rebuild with the, a lottery pit. But they're not going for it. They're, they're just going for it. They've got a bunch of guys that have synced really well. Last week, when they uh, when the trade went through for Varejo, uh, my immediate reaction was, you've got to be kidding me. Why? So I, can't, I couldn't see him fitting in. And, and then all of a sudden, he was he would have been the, the most expensive player on the roster. And I was just like, you, you, you've got to be kidding me. And I, I, for a moment, I doubted Neil O'Shea. And then good old Neil waved him, split, <laughs> split the contract over five years. And brilliant. Now they've reached the salary cap floor as well. So hat tip to him. He's He knows what he's doing. Yeah, I think they've just been really pushed on by the way Damian Lillard has developed the last few years. Like coming into the league, I was really high on him. Like anyone who's listened to this podcast for ages knows that I was like the biggest Damian Lillard fanboy you could possibly imagine and when he followed us on twitter in like 2015 or 14 i think it was like i was completely over the moon um, nice. but anyway <laughs> before i digress um 51 points against the golden state warriors on february the 19th ridiculous i'm sorry that game was incredible and i think steve kerr was like oh he did a steph curry and all the portland fans were like ah f off he did his own thing exactly. yeah <laughs> like he did he, he did the damien lillard leave him alone <laughs> he, he's the kind of guy like like uh, again I'm, I'm talking about the piece he you tell him he can't do something to do it right and if you if you i like the fact that he plays with a chip on his shoulder in a similar way to john warders as well they both think they are the best at their position and they've got to have that mentality because otherwise in this league they're going to get beat yeah and so he comes out and he puts, you know, he's not picked for the all-star game. So what does he do? He goes on a tear where he's, he's been averaging close to 30 all month with about so five, like four straight games or something. Exactly. Like 30 plus points. And he, you know, he's the first blazer to get 30 plus in five games since their first season in the NBA. And this, you know, the blazers history has had people like Clyde Drexler for years. Um, other 
like Brandon Roy, fantastic scorers, and but they've not done it. Lamarcus Aldridge, and Lillard's the guy who does it. The guy who's Bill Walton. No one's ever done it. Yeah, Bill Walton. That's going back. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, like you can't rule that guy out. You can't. He is an all star. He should have been an all star. It's the biggest snub by far this year. Yeah, I just think like if you look at Lillard's general awards cabinet since the end of the league, like. You know, Rookie of the Year 2013 to uh, 2012 to 13, um, All NBA Third Team 13 to 14, um, All Rookie First Team 12 to 13 again, two NBA Players of the Week, five NBA Rookies of the Month, got Portland out of the first round of the playoffs for the first time in what 14 years? Oh yeah, like that. that's shot. Just yeah, ridiculous. And then he's just one of those guys who takes everything and then gives it back. And CJ McCollum is also a guy who I think they really cleverly drafted. Obviously, didn't have a lot, a lot of luck the first season with a few injuries, but he's really developed this year. And uh, the, a lot, a part of me is really glad they didn't trade him because they could have traded him for Kevin Love and got Kevin Love back and built around Love and Lillard. But with the backcourt they've got at the moment, like they're set for the next few years. They just have to find the pieces and not do what Cleveland did and just grab yourself a superstar and assume that everything's going to work out because. It doesn't, but like you said, the way the organization runs itself, it's so well coached. They just add players when they need to add players, and they went out this summer, last summer, sorry, and just grabbed assets, basically. Yeah. They went out and grabbed good players who have got some trade value, but are also going to contribute to the team on the court. And, and they got them on good think, contracts, you know, exactly. in, in good time before the salary. A lot of them are really young. Yeah, yeah, very much. So, you know, you've got some good pieces that if they pan out, then great, and if they don't quite pan out how you want, you've got them on very movable contracts. Yeah, I mean, they're second in the Northwest Division at the moment, seventh in the Western Conference, I think. They're eighth in points per game, fifth in rebounds per game. Like they, They're in some really high positions in some of the great stat categories to be in, and, you know, if they get to the playoffs and win a couple of games, and who knows where the ceiling is for this kid, this team, but future as always it seems to be for the last five years is pretty bright in Portland let's just hope nothing uh, nothing serious happens to him anyway um, we're going to call it quits because it's getting a bit late so you can check out the website which is doubleclutchpodcast.co.uk um, Mike has done a fantastic Portland piece which is what I've said again um, you can go check that out I wrote some bits and bobs everyone's sort of contributing and chipping in Mike is also writing for Give Me Sport which has become the official home of the NBA so go and check that out that's now on um I think it's NBA.com sort of redirects you there. So go and go and check that out. Um, our Twitter, as usual, is at Double Clutch UK. If you have listened to the podcast recently and you're a new fan, you listen on iTunes or Stitcher Radio, Radio any platform where you can leave us a review, please do because they make a huge impact on where we lie in the standings. And, you know, sometimes we're near the starters and sometimes we're above ESPN and sometimes we're in between CBS and all these other ones. And we quite, we quite like being up there. It's quite cool being in that sort of esteemed company. So, keep any of the uh, reviews coming but as usual if you are watching games during the week please use hashtag NBA in the UK and um, we'll catch you at some point during the week goodbye see ya what he's doing night after night we're witnessing greatness out there it's, it's truly amazing what we're watching Curry fires away and hits the three too good by Steph Curry you gotta give Steph Curry a lot of credit but he's taking the challenge just uh, in a good zone and having fun doing it He just hit shots that no other person on the planet can hit. Perry from way downtown. Oscar Robinson said you can guard stuff by playing better defense. Obviously, there's no defense for that. His best performance ever in a regular season game. 
Curry, another three. Oh, it's good. LeBron James saying needs to stop it, man. He's ridiculous. And the game is tied. They do have a timeout. Decide not to use it. Curry, way downtown. 